It's happy hour again from Central City, New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. We're at Casa Borrega on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard at Felicity, where you can come and have a drink, listen to live Latin jazz mostly, and have something to eat as well. Casa Borrega is a restaurant, a bar, and a live music venue. It's been open for a couple of months now. You can also follow them on Facebook and Twitter and find out more about them in the next 60 minutes here. You're going to get to meet just four of the many thousands of fascinating people who live in New Orleans, and you'll get to hear some live music as well. At the end of the show, you might conclude New Orleans is a great city where people love to talk, have fun, and enjoy great music. But there's a fair chance you know that already, so let's get right on with doing nothing. But enjoying the next 60 minutes of happy hour together, my very eclectic and interesting bunch of guests sitting around the table here at Casa Borrega are in this particular order. Dominique Ellis. Hello, Dominique. Hi, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing? Pretty good. Dominique is the marketing and communications coordinator for the Easter Seals of Louisiana. That's not actual seals, right? No, no, like stamp seals. Stamp seals. Let's get on to that in a minute. Easter Seals of Louisiana, where she is working to bring the 62-year-old nonprofit into the social media age and connect with the young entrepreneurial class in New Orleans. Yes. Okay, I don't have any clue what Easter Seals is. Does anybody around the table? I can't say that. Even though we haven't introduced anybody, I'm just going to do a survey. I do. You do? Robert yes. Dean knows what they are, okay. One. Terry, right. yes or no? It's a new no. I kind, I kind of do. Kind of do. That's maybe. That's a no, maybe. No, yes. And then we've got the experts sitting over here, so we'll yes. find out in a minute. Dominique is also the founder and editor of Lifestyle Blog, A Little Happy which connects and encourages women starting their own creative businesses while offering tips and inspiration for us living a stylish life on the cheap. Yes. Now, that's a great idea. Anything on the cheap is good, especially style. Dominique is a frequent guest writer for numerous marketing websites and lifestyle blogs, including Social Media Today, Talent Zoo's Beneath the Brand, and the New Orleans Moms blog. Yes, although so, I'm not a mom. You're not a mom, but you write, well, you're an expert on being a mom even though you're not one. I, I actually that? started the article for them with, I am not a mom, but, you know, that's okay. So. Well, I guess you could write about anything under those circumstances. Yes, right? technically. I wrote about my dog a little bit, which I'm not you're sure not, they were too happy not, about. Well, you're not a dog either. Did you start that off with, I'm not a dog? No, no. But I wrote about my dog, so that, that worked out somehow. Well, it's the same thing. Hey, listen, talking of writers, Robert Dean is here making his second appearance on Happy Hour. Hello. Hey. Robert Dean is a writer, a musician, and self-described scholar of the damned. Yeah, what do you th- how do you like that? Are you <laughs> scared great. yet? No. Robert's the author of two novels, The Dear John Letter, and In the Arms of Nightmares, which was published last year. Two more novels are awaiting publication, Coffins and The Red Seven. And a novella collection, We Are the End, will be published later this year. You get the sort of theme now. You know, hey. <laughs> yes. Robert Dean's a contributor also to numerous other publications, including Offbeat Magazine, which is a sort of normal publication, and Quarterat, the insider magazine for the service industry of New Orleans French Quarter, He's also head writer at moonrunnerscountry.com, and he's the perennially upbeat voice of the blog robertdeansworld.com. Hey. Robert, welcome back to Happy Hour. Second time. About almost a year ago. Almost was it a year ago? Yeah, about that. What did you do to qualify to come back? Uh, what made Graham DuPont, our producer, think you'd be a good candidate for revisiting us? My inability to not say the F word all the time and tell stories about drinking. You tell a lot of stories about drinking? Well, And you yeah. like to say fuck a lot? You know, there's... After working five years on bourbon and writing for a living, you've got a, kind of a pretty good amount of stories that I could tell. I'm in the process right now of writing a book and telling all the stories about bourbon. Everything? Oh, yeah. I'm when never going to be able to come back again. I was just going to say, what are you going to do when you've told them? Or kill yourself? Or oh, no, no. Move? No, we're already moving. So. Are you moving out of New Orleans? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Where are you going to go after this? We're going to Austin. <laughs> That's awfully sad, isn't it, guys? <laughs> it is. I can't believe that you're moving to Austin. That's horrible. Let's get on to that in a minute. Also with me, Terry McDermott and Greg DeLeo, who are Hello. individually human Hello. beings, but jointly yes. are musicians in the same band occasionally. That's right. Yes. Correct? Yes. yes. Greg yes. DeLeo I've seen on TV. Terry McDermott I've seen on TV, but in totally different circumstances. Terry is a singer-songwriter originally from Aberdeen, Scotland, who lives now in New Orleans, and is known nationwide for being runner-up on season three of The Voice. How amazing. Are you as amazed by that as we all are? Fairly amazed, yeah. Still, still mildly. Still shocked. I've downgraded yeah. from amazed to mildly stunned. But Let's move on a little bit. Okay, Terry's first single, Pictures, released at the conclusion of The Voice, shot to number one on iTunes, which is about the only chart that matters, I would imagine, anymore. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the contemporary chart, isn't it? Yeah. Casey Kasten doesn't do that one, <laughs> yeah, though. Right. I guess Billboard doesn't mean anything anymore, does it? Well, it Who's buying singles? If you, top, if you top the Billboard, I'm sure you're just as happy. I guess it would be not. exciting, but you're probably not selling as many records. Uh, I guess it really depends, because you're not selling any records in the iTunes, well, right? Yeah, you're but downloads. But yeah, but you're making money. That's true. Yes, One yeah. way or another, so long as you hear the cha-ching. Yeah, exactly. Hey, listen, anyway, the, the, uh, the song shot to number one, thanks to Terry's widespread and rabid fans who call themselves Mech Hobbits. 
<laughs> Cherry's New Orleans band, The Bonfires, is a local all-star collection of musicians previously in the Afghan Wigs and as Osborne's band, and world leader pretend in their debut album, Palmetto Heights, is due out later this year. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Now, Greg, how do you get invited to come along? Well, I'm, uh, fortunately for me, but uh, David Rosser is one of the members of the Bonfires and uh, a friend of ours and one of Terry's bandmates, and uh, he he could not make it today, so I'm, I get to fill so in get for him. get dragged in. Right. Well, yeah. I'm like Al Pacino in, in Godfather 3. You know, they keep pulling me back. <laughs> Uh, but I used to, I, uh, Terry and I used to uh, play. Pre-voice, we were, uh, we were a duo uh, around and town kicked, a bit. you kicked them to the curb once you got famous. Oh, yeah, I as was quick history. As possibly yeah. could. <laughs> only, only to have to eat humble pie and call them up today. So. It must have been horrible to say, listen, I'm stuck. I'm doing it cost him 20 bucks. That's right. So... Plus you, plus, you get a beer. I mean, that, and you, a you beer. get more than you bargained for. You get twenty dollars yeah. in a beer. That's pretty. Yeah. Is that more eager than you got when you played together before the voice? Yeah, absolutely. Probably. The yeah. first shows we used so to play were at the Neutral Ground, uh, the little coffee shop where you know, your, you, what we t- your take home for the night was zero. Tell the story. <laughs> Which one? Oh, the, the the old lady story. Yes. Oh God. Yes. That was. Um, I'd already been in a signed band, came, you know, from Scotland, came to New Orleans, didn't really know what I was doing, started playing music with Greg, and we ended up playing the Neutral Ground. And one night. Um, at the end of our set, there's an old lady who'd been sitting there watching us the whole time, you know, very nonchalant, not particularly interested in what we're doing, and then took the time to come up and say, look, and we, you've got to bear in mind, we just played Beatles, Who, Stones, we'd just gone through the whole British classic rock repertoire, and she took the time to come over and tell us that we'd probably do a lot better if we performed music that had been published. <laughs> <laughs> So well, that's good advice. That's a sort of level it, of sophistication it, at the neutral ground. Absolutely. But um, I, I don't want to be too unkind. It was, it was very kind to us and lots of fun. What so. made it you was move fun. here, Terry, after being a... You're already a successful rock star in Scotland, my, right? Or the UK in general? My wife uh, is actually from New Orleans. Oh, that will um, do it. That will do it. Uh, and we had a choice of... We, we, we met in Hollywood. I was living there with my band at the time. And, and we had a choice. We could either raise my son uh, in Hollywood or we could raise him in New Orleans. So they were the two only choices. You going to want to go back to Aberdeen? No, uh, I've decided to continue my American adventure. So good idea. <laughs> so um, what was she doing in Hollywood? Um, loitering is probably the right word. She, um, <laughs> initially, she came up because she was displaced by Hurricane Katrina, oh, that? Uh, and stayed with a neighbour of ours who was also from Louisiana, uh, and that's what kind of kicked it off. So well, that's fate. Yeah, we that's met un- we met under the spell of Hurricane Katrina somehow halfway across the country. That's kind of romantic, isn't it? It is a little. Not as, if the, the, the truth of the matter, you know, I almost drowned for her, actually, at a party. I tried, to, I tried to impress her in a pool and I actually passed out underwater, only to be saved by one of my guitar players. So that's, I think that's more romantic. So the marriage was born from pity. It was, <laughs> yes. That's pity. my attorney. Yeah. So you, dr- you've, you dived into a pool at a party in Hollywood and passed out underwater, quote-unquote. The, the, the idea was... drunk as hell? It was, it was a lot of tequila involved, obviously. But, um, it's very rock star was, when you think about it, isn't it? The idea it? was you do three lengths. It was a very long pool. The idea was you do three lengths underwater. And I got to the third length, and I remember touching the wall and just seeing the tunnel vision appear. The next thing I wake up, and it's blue sky, and my guitar, my rhythm guitar player is leaning over me. Are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. So they had to pull you out of the water. Yeah, and they didn't notice at first. Actually, it was my guitar player came out back coming back from the bathroom. And was like, does anybody else realise that Teddy's floating upside down in the pool? <laughs> and had you been dating your what's your wife's name? Uh, Malin. 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 M e l o n. M a l y n. M a l y n. Had you been dating Malin at this point, or um, this is the first time you met? A little bit, just on and off. It was really the first time we'd really. Spent so the first any time you'd been anywhere together. And you I went dr- to, a, to, to a party. And I drowned. And you passed out drunk. Wrote from a couple tequila. of cracking songs about it though. So I mean, she must totally love you. Apparently, yeah. That's amazing. So oh, that's a pretty good first date story, Dominique. What's your first date story? My first date story. Um, oh God, I have a couple of really bad ones. Um, I actually have a terrible online dating first date story. Oh, okay, let's. Yeah, that um, yeah I, I went out with this guy who seems kind of fine. My friend and I drunkenly signed up for um, OkCupid once. Isn't that funny how yeah. it's always my friend? Yeah. Always. Well, she did it, and she was like, I'll do it if you do it. And yeah, it's always there was tequila else. involved. Okay. So anyway, um, so we we went on, we, and I, as a joke, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go out with a couple guys. So I went on this date, and I met him at Wino, you know, the wine mm-hmm. like institute or whatever. And there was no one in there. I don't know if you've been in there, but it's like a, a nice little yeah. tiny back room, and there's like one or two tables. So far, quite romantic, right? So far, romantic, except he, yeah. it was the most boring date I've ever been on in my life. And so like he's asking all these very 
formulaic questions. Just as a tip, you know, to any guys who are listening yes, and don't, don't want to repeat don't, this. What are the worst questions that we've Like, asked? what's your favorite color? Like, oh, like, no, like 13 year old <laughs> questions. No, no, that's not. He and, didn't say and, that. Did that was way favorite? too basic. Kind of like that. And so this he got to this point and there's dating. no one. You should have said camouflage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, that would have been more interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just kind of like giving one word answers and trying to figure well, out how to get favorite? out of it. What is your favorite? I like blue. Nice. Let's hope, let's hope he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But, so you're thinking, how am I going to get the hell out of this? Right. Okay. And the whole time there's no one in the room except this bartender who's just like kind of polishing glasses in the back and he's like cringing. quietly laughing to himself. <laughs> and he's behind, like the guy is across the table from me and the bartender's behind him so I can see him, but the guy can't. And he starts asking me these questions like, you know, what kind of music are you into? Which leads to weird discussion about opera. And so I said, you know, oh, well, do you like opera? And he said, no, but I like Wagner. And I was like, Wagner's dark. Okay, now that's I like problem. that. And I said, but I can't really listen to it without thinking about Bugs Bunny. You said yeah. that. I said that. And okay. he kind of pauses and he looks at me and he goes, what are you talking about? What? And I was like, I said, well... You know, the, the like famous Bugs Bunny parody of Flight of the Valkyries where, you know, he, I think it's he and Elmer Fudd running around yeah. and he's got like the horn Two helmet on and everything. The right. And the so the he, he, he looks at me deadpan and goes, it's not fun. It's not like cool to make fun of people for their musical taste. Like he thought I was making this up on the spot, <laughs> which is great. Like, wow. I would be impressed if you could. And that. so, right. I was like, I wish I was that smart, but I'm not. So um, I'm looking at the bartender behind him who's like shaking his head. Yes. at me like, no, that's a real thing. Like, I know what you're talking about me and that but how but how lucky you were to have a first date where you could exclude someone so immediately yes. and so completely that's right you i guess the tone i actually ended up singing kill the wabbit to him like he was like no it's done dun, dun, dun. and i was like yes i know kill the wabbit. And i would kill did. that guy in the first five minutes of meeting him it did it's, not go well that whole f- high fidelity thing of like where you can judge somebody on musical taste is totally legit yeah. it's totally <laughs> legit i don't care what any of you guys say if we put on pitbull right now if you would be like you guys want to leave? No, because it counts. It counts. <laughs> See, I feel the same way, but about cartoons. So, Interesting. Anything like that. If you put on anything like that, you just... Well, okay, Robert, what's the surefire way that you could meet someone who you love instantly? If I they did said it. I love... That's how I met my wife. Okay, what did she say? I was at work, and I was DJing, and I, you know... Where I'm is a, this? I was on Bourbon working, and... Uh, I was DJing and I happened to be playing Johnny Cash and she came up and she goes, this is the ringer on my phone. I was like, okay, really hot girl. And then, then again, I played the Beatles. Uh, what did I play? I played My Michelle. And then she goes, they're my favorite band in the whole world. And then we went out for drinks and I've been with her ever since. Okay, you know, I mean, at least you're still together, which is nice. But yeah. how many people wouldn't like Johnny Cash and the Beatles? I mean, they're two of the most famous artists in the world. Oh, you wouldn't... You, you would be surprised. The Beatles? Yeah, you would be very, very okay. surprised. Well, it's, more, it's more like it's more like the like equivalent of the Darwin Awards. It's, it's more like if she come up and asked her for Millie Vanilli, then you would have known to cross her off the list. <laughs> right. That's what I'm you know, thinking. That kind like, of thing. So no, people won't be going out with you then. No she, joke. I have had people tell me they go, "You, uh, could you guys stop playing music with guitars? Guitars are for old people." And okay, but if I told you that I love the Beatles and Johnny Cash, we could hang out and drink beer. Okay. Do you think you could fall in love with me and we could still be together? How many be- years? You do have beautiful eyes. <laughs> How many years ago was that that you... Uh, this was two years ago. It was only two years ago. Okay. Uh-huh. So a lot of people, what I'm trying to say is a lot of people love Johnny Cash and the Beatles. What else was there about her that... Uh, we just, the night just we met, we started, our, we, we argued about what our favorite Stones record is. I said, uh, Exile on Main Street. She argued with me, her Satan's great majesty or whatever it is. The, what the, their satanic majesty's request. Yeah. She, yeah, she loves that one. I was well, like, that was their answer to Sgt. Pepper's. It, yeah. Yeah. it had now, a 3D cover. It was very cool. It's cool, but it's, but it's totally not Exile on Main Street. No. No. And so we sat in a chart room in the corridor arguing about this. And then, you know, that led into arguing. She was like, she's from Austin. That's why, like uh-huh. you, yeah. like you, when you had to come here, yeah. we're having a son. Yeah. And so that's why we're going there. I, we don't, really? Congratulations. Thank you. When does that happen? Next month. Oh, goodness. His name's Congrats. Jackson Cash. Jackson Cash. That's that great. Great. Okay. <laughs> but so she's, she's making you go home. It's not really going home. It's, we just don't have family here. We have no one to help raise the kid. And, mm. you know, uh-huh. Ba- backup's nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Takes a, takes <laughs> a what village. About, what about us sitting around the table? You know, it's, we Terry, you're going to help hey, raise whoa, whoa, this kid? Whoa, whoa. I, got, I, got, I was volunteering I got you. two now. I don't need any more. I'm not looking after anybody's other kids. You have two kids? I've How old two. are they? My son's seven, and my little girl is one month old today. 
Aww. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. So seven. So you didn't waste much time after Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> Hell no. So you got her knocked up pretty quick. I did. That was like if you're a musician, weeks. if you're a musician, you have to run to get the girl that you care about knocked up as quickly as possible. <laughs> okay. Because everybody knows if you're a musician and you don't have a girlfriend, you're homeless. So ah. you've got to you've got to try and take care of business pretty pretty stat. And that will give you a home. That's right. You then hope. you have a home. Then you can loiter around that home. And Did your wife have a home, or was it destroyed by the hurricane? Uh, no, um, but she was staying with a with a friend who had a lovely apartment in LA, so everything worked out just nice. <laughs> Did you move in with them? No, actually. Well, the band. The, it was a nice respite from the band apartment. Now, which band was it? Ba- uh, it was in a band called Drive Blind. Okay. Um, we were signed to Geffen here in the states and. Uh, we all lived in a house. It was kind of like the monkeys, but more neurotic, um, with a lot, a lot more you alcohol abuse. All, you, you all moved to LA and lived in the same house. Yeah, we did. Yeah, apart from our uh, bass player, who was smart enough to almost instantly find a girlfriend and and, uh-huh. and stay with her. Uh, but yeah, we all lived in the same house, and you'd wake up the next morning, and there'd be a new random hole in the wall, or somebody's shoe would be in a, on the roof. And who was uh, crazy enough to rent a house to a band from Scotland? Charming old Jewish lad who was uh, who was convinced. Um, by our manager with a pack of lies that <laughs> things would be all right, but we weren't too bad. We weren't too bad as as, as contrary as it sounds. Actually, we were all right. And then that all fell apart. Or did you leave the band to move back to New Orleans and that no, broke we, up the band? We we toured very it was very like hard. Yoko. Yeah, well, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, no, we toured very hard, and uh, our relationship with the record company at the end of our uh, coming into our second record was was getting poorer and poorer, and we actually lobbied to get off the we actually our lawyer to get off, get yeah. us off the label. Everyone said that about Geffen at the end, though, right? Well, it was just a weird time for music. We signed at the end of the good times, and the digital revolution kind of occurred right in the middle of our first contract, which meant you know sales were down, and record companies were literally shitting staff overnight and, and just cutting bands left, right, and centre. But they, they held on to us, but we were really looking at a vacuum. The mm. record company didn't have either the finance or, or the, the power. or it was, a, it was a weird time, I think, generally for music. It's a much more exciting time for a musician now. It's an exciting time for you, that's for sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's talk about uh, the voice and all that stuff, but first let's play something. Let's have a listen to a song. Sure. Can we grab um, Greg's guitar for him, somebody? Okay. You want to get it? Okay. What are you guys uh, going to play, Terry? Uh, we're going to play Pictures, the, the song. Oh, that, the single. Yeah, that that, well. that went to number one. On, well, then it's, it's a great story behind that song, too. You wrote that song like on... In a, in a night, overnight, uh, and the next day we it was did. on the one of the one of the guys. Uh, one of the last tours my band did was with an Australian band called Duke Cartel, um, and uh, he, we, me and the, the bass player stayed friends. And we decided that at some point we're going to get together and write. Circumstances were just perfect. We said, "Let's write a song." We, I turned up at his house in Hollywood on the Wednesday, and by the next Tuesday, we had released it on the internet, and it was at number one. <laughs> That's so, incredible. Now, yeah. that could never have happened when there was real well, records. Well, right. and, and hence, is, that's why it's much more exciting time for you, musician. It really is. Yeah. Let's take a listen to the song that went to number one here. Pictures. <laughs>
racing on the back roads. I got pictures of you in mind. Killing me slowly that you're not around. I'm feeling like a ghost town. I got pictures of you. That's impressive just to be able to sit there and do that. Well, it helps be a musician anyway if I can pull it off. <laughs> but that's great. Hey, so um, that song, is it, did it, is it the, the song came out after the show. Yeah. So you already had this huge exposure. You were already a musician and a working musician and a famous musician in the UK. Famous is probably a strong word, but well, uh, well in, known. Scotland, in Scotland yeah. we've done well enough that uh, we got signed by the biggest company in the world effectively and yeah. brought us to America. Um, so you weren't a stranger to some sort of celebrity when the voice no. took off. Well, we'd done I'm things getting. like the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. We'd done a lot of coast-to-coast -to -coast touring and you know, TV shows. And, and no, no stranger to it, but I took a kind of a sabbatical, and I guess you could call it, which was I just kind of wandered through music until another friend of mine in Candlebox, an American band, said, do you want to start a new band? We did, and I was in the middle of touring that when I got a phone call from the show saying, do you want to be on the show? So they called you and said you want to come on? They did. Um, I think my name was, was uh, floating around out there anyway. Um, it, some of the people involved in the show, as it turns out, it, I think remembered me at least from, from years gone by. So. Okay. so the show's not like a talent quest where someone's waiting tables one day and the next day they're on TV. It's it, is, it is sometimes, uh, I think, truthfully, but um, you do get professionals as well. I mean, I think the, the main concern is, the <laughs> I know it's obviously... The, the idea but it's the voice is the main concern right. um, and they, they try to illustrate that but you can come from any walk of life and for me it was it was a second bite of the apple so it's like a look inside the music industry in a way that show more than sort of like just American Idol or or um, America's Got Talent which are more like talent quests the, yeah. the voice is more like a look at how someone's groomed and well, how they go from being absolutely and the, the one intricacy that, to the show which I think made a huge difference to my attitude towards it was if you want to, to succeed you had to sell records. Your iTunes sales were uh, played an enormous part in, in how you did. And I actually, I liked that idea about it being competitive in that nature. Not just because it was fun, but because, I mean, it's reflective of the truth, which is if you're going to succeed, then you have to sell records. So you got through all the way to the end of this thing. I did, yeah. Which is unbelievable. What was it, what was it like when you watched, this is what something I'm sure everybody wants to know. When you watched the show, the episode from that week, were you surprised by what you saw? Do they mess around with it? Do they cut it together in a way? Or is it just exactly what you expected to see? The, sh the show is, is uh, adamant. In a, uh, you know, they make that very clear at the beginning that they will not be messing around with you. They will not be editing for effect. They're really just going to do a good job of making you look and sound good. And, that. and they stay true to their word from the minute I was on the show to the minute I went off it. And so everything, everything you see is, is pretty much what we were seeing and doing at the time. Well, that's good to know because yeah. it's what everybody always asks. Don't you think, that what, how real is it? Yeah. Is it all I was, is I mean, it rigged? I, I was old enough and cynical enough that when I went on the show, I was expecting the worst, um, in truth. But I was very surprised when I got on there. And, you know, shame on me, because these, they're just very hard-working people that were doing their best to, to make great television. And at the same time, that meant that they had to make us look and sound good. So they worked very hard with us to, to give us every opportunity. It really, the surprising thing is that there's a lot, a lot of time on your a day uh, you know, seven days a week when you're on that show, it's 16-hour days. Sometimes, you know, you, you're. What, up, are, you, what up are you doing all day? Singing? Well, for, well, for the, the the one thing that people used to dread was on a Friday, when you'd get up and it would be satellite media tour, which was you'd go and basically sit in a chair at four in the morning, 
and you link up with um, television stations all over the country, like 30 TV stations. So you'd be doing five minute spots, just one after the other, just one after the other. And you'd do that from like 4.30 in the morning through to maybe 10 in the morning. And um, so I mean, there's, you know, there's five hours of your, your day taken just there. Just and are they asking you all the same stupid questions or is it all? Well, there's a variety of questions, some what stupid and otherwise, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, how are you, how are you getting on with the experience? Uh, how are you getting on with the other people on the show? They want to give some inside information about what's going on. And um, the more you do it, the more likely you are to give them a smart ass answer. Right, by, right. By, by 10 o'clock in the morning, it's, you know, everyone's giving off one-liners and aggro, so. So it's all the NBC stations basically just yeah, go on, they just use it as a promo. Every, every NBC affiliate in, uh, in, in the States. Yeah. So has it surprised you what happened to you? What's happened to you? Because you have 86,000 Twitter followers yeah. now and God knows how many thousand people like your page on Facebook. And, it's a lot, yeah. And there's a lot of... Re- I mean, we've been, people have been mentioning since we mentioned that you're coming on this show. Yeah. And this is not the most high-profile show in the world. Well, it's one of them, of course. Absolutely. But, but it's been crazy on Twitter how many people have posted stuff about you. I, th- and I think the... I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to say it was a surprise because I don't think it, you know, the, the after effect isn't a surprise. I think getting to the very final show and ending up second, I think truthfully that was a surprise. I didn't think I'd get that far. I really didn't believe that they'd embrace a, a foreigner, a, a, somebody from Scotland, and take them that far. So that was surprising. But the after effect was kind of what I expected because, yeah. I mean, that was the attraction in the first place was to, the, you know, if you're a working musician, you need exposure to survive. And that element is priceless. And they give you, they literally give you a platform for your career. So, I mean... Now then, what do they you do own with you it now, though? Do they own you? No, I actually, no I actually negotiated out my contract almost immediately, so I could, I could get going and get started, and then that's why I was able to go and work on my independent single and get it out. And so get you don't owe them anything anymore? Not a penny, not a thing. And the record, you know, I have no tight Universal Records or anything like that. So. Do you still in touch with CeeLo Green or Peter Frampton or I spoke, I sp- anybody? Blake, I've, I've spoken to Blake a few times. He sent me a message congratulating me on my, my daughter being born. So. Okay, so you're still in touch with those guys. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, they're a good bunch. And once sorry, they're like a it's no, very family orientated. When you're yeah. on there, you work you work in each other's pockets a lot. So. I was going to ask what what did you say his followers call themselves? What are, what, McHobbits. Mc, can, you, can you explain that? Because you can't uh, control well, everything. I mean, there's I get it, but... Very well, virulent fan base, it's, it's too. It started there. off because of the British shaggy haircut thing, and, the, and the, the, okay. of course the Hobbit was coming out at the time, and people were looking at the, the Hobbit and seeing this. Oh, oh my God, he's a Hobbit. No, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, just the hair, but and no, have you, you s- don't look like a Hobbit. And have you seen, have you seen his feet? <laughs> I know, they're, see, they're a size, size 82s. Um, but no, the, the, the other thing was, it kind of got cemented when I did, a, there was a spot on the show with uh, Christina Milian, the host for their online content and she she fell into kind of a dirty joke trap uh, on the show when uh, she said oh and this is uh, this is a message from some of your fans the hobbits and she goes uh, you know everybody wants a, a little hobbit in there when I asked her of course as a setup, do you have do you have a, any hobbit in you uh, Christina and she said no but I'd like some and then just then just realized what she said <laughs> and you can look it up on YouTube I still honestly laugh ass off at that it's just it's it's the perfect setup and the perfect knockdown and I think it got cemented after that the whole Hobbit the thing the Hobbit and they're really okay. they really are a very fervent uh, militant fan base to say the least now Robert you write about music online a lot and extremely yeah. opinionated stuff <laughs> yeah what would you would you review something like The Voice do you look at no, guys I, 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 that's I beneath no you Whoa. I had no, no you never heard of Terry no I it's not that it's like I just, that's just not my world. You know, I pay no attention to that kind of thing, you know. But, I mean, that song was great. I was like, how did this dude come in second? You know, that was <laughs> good. good. question. Thank you. And because, I mean, I, I think Blake Shelton's a douchebag, so and he's your friend. <laughs> Sorry. He, what he said about Hank Williams will never sit right with me. Right, well, that's, you know? that's fair. What point. did he say then? He said some shit about how, like, what they play to what Hank did. He's like, well, that's just old guy music or something. Hey. And really? I don't remember. It how was something that Hank Williams? Look, I got him tattooed on my wrist. <laughs> Waylon Jennings, one of his, his son that's is not one your of, wrist, that's your whole shooter. fucking arm. Yeah, Shooter's bro. one of my best friends. Like, I run a website with him. Right. And so when Blake Shelton did that, we were like, dude. Really? Like, you play country country music, and you're going to do that. And I know that's like your guy and stuff, but oh, it just I, I drove it. me it. insane. It's, it's passionate. I mean, I got an education in country from my wife, who's a big country fan, and, and, you know, I can see Blake's very passionate about it as well, but I can see how if they got a split opinion, it's going to run Yeah, but, deep. you know, what's pretty interesting, actually, what you're saying, Robert, is that you pay no attention to these people, and the guy's a douchebag, but you seem to know what he says. Well, that's like, for... The way that we looked at it was like Moonrunners. How Runners, did you hear about it? Well, because Moonrunners, that's what we do. That's, it's a 
website dedicated to underground country, like traditionalist country, bluegrass, like all the guys like Shooter, what Hank 3 is doing, what all the like guys that necessarily like me that grew up listening to punk, metal, and then but got into country as well. So it's like dudes with pompadours and tattoos playing traditionalist stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we do that and all the guys like that are in that whole world, like Lucero and we did a music fest in Chicago and that was sold out. I spoke at it. It did my best Henry Rollins where I motherfucked everything. <laughs> and we did that and constantly always talk about where we we're we're just really dudes that are in love with music and we love like we you always have to pay tradition like you always have to pay homage to your roots always like you know you guys were talking about playing the stones and the beatles and all those kinds of things to me if you're going to play any kind of music you should always look back to the guys that did it first you may not like it i just yesterday i put i don't like bob dylan i don't but i respect everything about bob dylan that doesn't mean that he's a terrible dude but some guy on you know what is it you don't like about country Bob? tunes? What is it you don't like about Bob Dylan? I just did. It, it's just I can't do it. It's just his voice annoys me. But so I like it's annoying. I like the man in me. I like the hurricane. I like blood on the tracks. But beyond that, I got nothing. Yeah, I do you like his stuff when other people when other people sing it? Uh, I like Jimi Hendrix's All Along the Watchtower, obviously, and I like old Crow Medicine shows, Wagon Wheel, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I mean. Because that's how, that's how the Grateful Dead is is to me. Yeah, I, I can't stand them doing yeah. any of their own songs. But if anyone else does it, then I hear the songwriting. Yeah, the Grateful oh Dead, yeah, exactly. You know. The Grateful Dead sounds wanky to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't like. I, I hate. Can't, I can't I, get into it. I don't like it either. But I heard like Ray Lamontage or however you say his last Ray name. Ray Lamontage. I just heard him do a cover of The Man and Me, and I heard him do a cover of Sugar Malignolia on French radio like two weeks ago, and it was brilliant. I, I, was think, like, I think, to be fair to Ray LaMontagne, though, he could probably play a sing a collection of frog farts, and it would still sound <laughs> oh, absolutely yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah, that guy is untouchable. He's, he's, yeah, he's incredible. That's, so your, your taste ranges from death metal through to I, I like all kinds. Yeah, I mean, I like country, metal, jazz, blues. The only stuff I really don't like is Top 40 and... Like, really severe. Like, I can't connect at this point to hip-hop at all. I used to. When I was a kid, like, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. We were listening to punk rock bands and, like, Public Enemy and KRS-One. And we'd listen to the Beastie Boys and the Gorilla Biscuits and the Misfits. So we were listening to all that. And then by the time I got my mid-20s and it all just became, like, hip-hop at this point now is what 80s metal was 20 years ago. It's all about cars and chicks with, like, hoses and stuff. Well, hip, Look at a poison video. Hip-hop became hip-hop. I mean, that's, all, that's yeah. all it is now, in effect. It's and essentially, and when you work, like, when you work as a DJ and you just see when people are like, I want to hear this in the most bass music possible. So people's tastes are devolving? Oh, completely. shittier? Completely. Are you getting older? Is this what older people say now? That, you know, I don't, just like our fathers? I, I would argue, though, that, like, and I tend to find this, like, the people who make requests to DJs tend to love, like, the top 40 only. No, that we get like, people... I, 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 every time I'm out and I see people, like, because most people... Like, I think I hang with some people who have some pretty decent taste in music, and none of us are ever going up to the DJ because I'm like, no, they're doing their thing. Let them have their moment. They're in the mo whatever. But, like, oh, see, I, 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 but then it's always like, you know, the girl with the sugary I, pink drink who I runs up out, and is like, if I'm at a bar, play Katy Perry. It's his, it's his wife you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. She said, play, she said play the Beatles, not no, Katy Perry. But, uh, no, <laughs> like, me, if I go out, like, I'm totally guilty of this. I'll go out and get smashed. I was at home for my best friend's wedding for his bachelor party, and I got smashed. We're drinking a bunch of Jameson. I just took a handful of money and just dropped it on the DJ's lap. I was like, for the next hour and a half, you're my guy. You're my guy. I see. I see. You, did, you just said something really interesting. You mentioned you know, how the Beatles we talk about in such credible terms, and yet we're, we're having a pop at people for listening to Top 40. I'm not a big fan of the Top 40. That's not what I came from. It's, it's, you know, it's not what I aspire to. But I do have a respect for people who have the ability to work in music and know how to make it. I mean, ultimately, it's called music business for a reason. It is a business. Um, but if you want to talk about the Beatles for a minute, a band that I love and absolutely changed my life when I heard Sgt. Peppers as a kid. But I, did, I do remember having a conversation with my dad when he says, look, the fact is, when you're talking about the Beatles, you've got to remember that time has changed the perception. Because now they're considered, they're gospel. I mean, they're, it's the Bible. It's the Bible of music. But at the time, it was considered pop fluff. A lot of it was considered pop fluff. Yeah. And the reason the Stones and the Who and uh, the Kinks were much more credible at the time was because they were doing something a lot edgier. Mm. So, I mean, effectively, 
the Beatles were top 40. They were. They, are. they, they were, they, but... They were the top 40. I, but back then, there were no 40. FM stations as we perceive them now. That When FM stations came out during the hippie days, it was, it became, it was underground. And it was only the college stations that were playing, slipping in Abbey Road late at night. When the Beatles were coming out with their big hits in, in the, the mid-60s, the, the only stations to hear them on were WTIX. Yeah. On Radio, Radio the, the Carolina, AM, off, which was the, the pirate sh- uh, radio ship off the coast of the UK. I mean, that's and so everything cool. was top 40. Yeah. Uh, there was no there was alternative no to yeah. it. I, so, but I, that, but, sorry, I was going to say that division, though, you're saying about underground and stuff. I think the Beatles, in many ways, because they were so mainstream, they were the natural pushers of progression in terms of the Stones adopting a harder edge and the Who becoming such a powerful animalistic rock band. I mean, it's primarily because they were pushing against that early pop sensibilities, yet being pop bands. We have now, like, I, we always get painted into this thing where I, I still haven't figured out how it happened, but I'm really, really glad it did is now we got bands that are big like the Lumineers and Mumford and Sons, which I'm really, really happy about because those bands aren't full of shit. Like, you know, they're not. Yeah. Those bands are playing their own music. Like Mumford and Sons, what's the label that Mumford and Sons is on? Some guy's like closet record. <laughs> and it blew up and that guy, the guy who was smart enough to help him out and sign him, did, did something. And now they're opening the doors to a lot of bands that necessarily... Like, I don't even think five years ago, Mumford & Sons would have had a shot in hell to do what they're doing right now. I mean, it's, it is pretty shocking that a band playing that type of music stood up at the Grammys and perfor- you know, won a Grammy. Won the Grammy of the I mean, year. That, that was kind of shocking, but the cynical part in me says that, you know, they're, they're looking for a way to expose this kind of music and make it popular so that you can get another raft of 100 bands to do an imitation <laughs> of it run its course and then put something else in and just basically shit that out as well. I mean, so that's, are that's you saying that the whole music business like this is still rigged? Like we're all still victims of what we think we're, we're making something popular? I think, that, I think that's probably a rhetorical question, isn't it? Right. I think we all think business, we know the answer is yes. marketing. Yeah, it is, it is. I mean, it, ultimately, I think you can only have to look at the situation at radio to really grasp how hard it is for, for, um, but for does somebody. Ra- but does radio have the same power that it used to? I don't Perhaps think so. Perhaps it doesn't. Well, I guess it depends on what you're talking about as, as, as power. The format, well, how would the format get, how still... get us to buy Mumford & Sons? How would that have been shoved down our throats that we were so stupid well, th- that we made I th- it? Happen? I think, to be fair, that that was on rotation in just about every big radio station. But it, but you, know the how they got, you know how they got that, though? From Pitchfork. That's, right. That set off. They got Pitchfork, K-Rock took it, and then K-Rock, and then it spiraled out. But Pitchfork is what started them. That's like... Who else did Pitchfork do that to? I can't... Like, they've done that with a bunch of the bands that we know, like Iron and Wine and mm-hmm. all different things. You know, so that's uh, a hit-making now. It, it's a taste-making site. That's yeah. what we've... We've tried really hard to be, like, the country version of Pitchfork. I'm going to admit that because they're a taste-makers. You know, they're festival, and they do a festival, too, and it's enormous now. That can rival Lollapalooza at And this that's point. the synergy as well, the synergy between the record companies, the, the radio, the taste-makers, undoubtedly. I mean... They're all tying in together. I mean, that's that's the nature of the business. Well, with with downloads now, do we even need labels anymore? That is a, that is a constant debate. It's a constant debate. But you need something to get it out there. I mean, you had a hit song because you but, were on television. But I can also tell you from a practical point of view, it's still not free to put bands on tour or to take a band. You know, you could have people all over the country that want you to uh, you know to play in their hometown, but you still have the logistics. It still requires an upfront large sum of money tour support to get a band in front of a person. So the, the, the truth is, a label might not have the same validity it did as the 70s, the 80s, or the 90s even, but it still has the ability to provide enough finance for a band to get out and work. I agree with you, because that's like me with publishing. I've had two books put out, and I've got two sitting in limbo because my agent's trying to sell them. You can put anything you want on the internet. That doesn't mean people are going to see it, hear it, or want to buy it. Well, I think, I think like, I work in marketing, so I look at it from that perspective but um, one of my clients is a musician and an actor and he's on Broadway and he has albums out and you know he has some kind of like old school money guys backing him who are like you just gotta get a record label deal and we're like no that doesn't that's not a thing anymore and we've been trying to pull them along and explain to them like we need sponsors to get the money to get him in front of people but what the record labels are trying to morph into or should morph into and um, some of them are getting it right in my opinion is it's a time suck to get someone to do the legwork, mm-hmm. to sit down and craft a social media campaign for you and, and pitch your songs to be on the latest episode of Grey's Anatomy or a CW show or get, you know, uh, I think Mumford & Sons just had 
Jason Bateman and a bunch of comedians mm -hmm. act them yeah, they don't have in to. their music video. And like that's marketing genius. They just released it on yeah. YouTube on YouTube. Like they I don't saw it last night, it has four million it's views hilarious. and it was yesterday. <laughs> but but you have to have somebody to sit down and coordinate all that. And so it's not necessarily not like let's plan your you know, your tour. It's more like let's do your marketing scheme. Yeah. And that's all the lower the smaller end kind of niche market record labels are trying to do is how can we get you online in front of the most eyeballs as possible and then the funds will come to get you in front of actual people and there is also a new entity which is kind of taking hold as well which isn't a record label it's not a publishing house it's uh, a label services company which is they effectively do everything a label does without being a label and it's like, they're like a one-stop shop where you can come in and you can say look I've got an independent project that covers just about every base. What we don't have is a good PR campaign. They'll say, well, we have that wing. We have that service. My, like, my client, I hate yeah. Well, yeah. I, I work with him with that, but my client also works with one of yeah. those based in New York. And so he went, he said, I have 12 songs ready to go. I have my new album. I need. A, they have a recording studio. He's like, I have a PR girl who's helping me with social media, but I need someone to pitch me to the magazines because I don't have those contacts in New York. And they were like, we have somebody who does. So he just paid them for that service. Yeah. How much? And for the, I don't he didn't tell me the well, amount. Well, do you know a what lot. it costs? Robert, do you know I mean, what it costs to buy this? You go to. I, when, uh, I'm trying to remember, when Nightmares came out, I think the lowest quote for a month of just like a PR push was 500 bucks, and that was from like the lowest of the low. That wasn't even right. like one yeah. of the big ones. But I think it the likelihood is it's going to be four figures, you know, yeah. mid, mid four figures for, it used for to be a PR. Th it used to be about $100,000 to get a hit record in America. Mm -hmm. If your record company paid hundred thousand dollars for radio stations and promotion in various ways you would have a hit record that was a fact i'd be surprised and if it was still that much I, if it yeah. was that much well, I think, what do you I think, think it costs now for a label services I, I, I mean it's definitely cheaper than that depending on what you, so depending on what you I, want well, that's I think, a good I think the services the services are so varied as well i mean that's that's how long's a piece of string you know it's well like, and it's also right. a problem of because that type of industry isn't fully defined you have people who are setting up label industry services that are grossly overcharging and saying they have contacts that they don't and kind of exploiting the market because it's new and people are trying yeah. new things. So it can go both ways, what about which publishing? is unfortunate. What about talking about publishing Robert's book? What, how did you get the last one out? I got the last one out because I talked to the publisher, they liked the book, and then you know that did well enough. It sold a couple of thousand copies through them, but they're... You know, they're on, I don't even know what they're doing right now. I think they're on a small hiatus. And then I looked at that was a stepping stone right. to get to somewhere bigger. And that's how I got my agent and actually my last book. Actually, Graham is the one that helped edit it. Our producer, Graham DuPonte. Yeah, really? she helped okay. edit it. And my agent has it. That landed me an agent. And now I've been in limbo for months because publishing is on a break right now. So I have to sit. What do you mean publishing wait. is on a break? Is in the summer? summer no one's working. They don't do anything. I mean, it's like Congress. They just kind of work with what they've got, and then it'll start up after the holiday. But seriously, I mean, you can, can't you put stuff on Kindle? Does that not? Oh, you can. I mean, I've done it with, like, smaller projects with involved with people, but it doesn't, that doesn't always necessarily have to work. Have. Unless you're already a brand. Like, I have... I, I, did social media and marketing uh, for myself before I started working for Easter Seals. I had my own company and I would have clients who'd come to me and be like, let's build a website and then people will come into my store and it's like, just because you put it on the internet yeah. and make it live does not know people are there. And like an, an efficient tool to right. get to an audience doesn't give you an audience. You need right. necessarily, like what he did with The Voice, mm -hmm. you get the product and you put it in front of people and it's people's choice if they want to have it. And so if you have like, you did that and now you have 80 some thousand people that are like, I'm into this guy, let's do this thing. Yeah, that's an easy way to do it if you can get Blake Sheldon to love you and, you, oh, yeah. and you're talented enough to get in front of all these people, you know. But if you suppose you're a really great writer and you've written a great book, I, it I, doesn't mean that a publisher is going to love it. it no, means, it doesn't but at it all. It can mean now that with someone like Dominique behind you or someone like that, you can well, actually you have to have get a, it in front. You have to have of a it. hook. Like I have a client who does like health services, massaging and uh, massages and stuff, and she did a website, and you know she kind of naively thought that if she just put a website up when people google searched massage services in new orleans she would pop up well the algorithms don't work that way no, it's all don't. based off of SEO. shares and it's not even, it's getting more even away from seo now it's like all social media like you can't just go in and meta tag things like you used to be able to hire someone and you pop up like that only works so much now 
if you're tweeted about and Facebook shared and posted on blogs, that, all that part raises of the you. Algorithm now. So yep. yeah, so if you're not doing that and you just have a website, no one's going to find you. You you will pop up in Google, maybe like 82 pages down. But <laughs> so the pecking order is returning. Nobody. I mean, how how far returning. when you Google search past like the top maybe six responses do you never no one never. ever goes to page two mm. so the whole democratization of the world that was supposed to be given to us by the internet where we didn't need record labels and we didn't need publishers we didn't need anything is false. well it's it's it, it is it isn't it isn't it's kind of you can yes you can manipulate it to where people will see mm. your your stuff better but you need a hook at the end of the day you still need a hook to get people to like you What's you're number well, one and number okay. two in google yeah. search because people like you let me go back to the same question you. robert's written a great book he's mm-hmm. a really great writer and it really is good and it doesn't mean you know like just like everyone there's so many stories about people who've written great books or made great records and done all sorts of amazing things and no one sees it People even spend a huge amount of money making a great movie and no one goes to see it. It's a time suck sometimes. Like that kind of marketing is a time the suck. Only, the only defense against the, the fact that the internet has kind of saturated just about every possible marketplace there is mm-hmm. is to be exceptional and persistent and persist with it being exceptional. That is all. That's the only defense there is to it. You have to be better than everybody and you have yep. to be more persistent than everyone. And you have, to, you have to be constantly looking for different ways to network. Like I, it's not just like... Let me let me get my music on music only blogs. Don't go get them on other blogs that maybe have some sort of weird tie into some sort of theme they're doing today with one of your songs. Like any kind of yeah. cross I remember marketing for, you can do is I, worth it. About a, two months ago, I spent like two like a month on a letter to try to get Sailor Jerry to sponsor me and be like, "Look, you guys are a rum company. You got, you're a tattoo company. You, your commercial has the misfits, and you show all kinds of punk rock dudes. Those are my people. We should talk about this." And, you know, I... Did they ever get back to you? No. Would someone, someone, if you wrote that letter, would you get through to someone? Do you know I would to... have had you make a video. Yeah, see, that's the difference. Oh, and, and cut it together. But the cross-referencing. The and I would have put it on your website and then launched a social media campaign having people tweet at Sailor Jerry yeah, saying, see, sponsor this see, guy, he's right. kicking... Yeah, see, that's you have the to difference. be able to think like that. Synergy I, you know, that's the problem. I'm just And a then write the letter. Well, that's <laughs> why you're just a writer. You don't I, need to do all this. You I have know. someone like Dominic. Dominic, why does someone with all your savvy going to Easter Seals? Um, I kind of... I was working for myself at the time. I had a company called Copy That Services, which I still have one or two clients with. But... Um, it just kind of fell in my lap. I wasn't looking. I was working at home in my pajamas, talking to my dog all day. Um, but I just this kind of fell in my lap, and it's a really great organization. And tell they, us what it is for the people who don't know. Easter we Seals is—it's no very confusing. Easter Seals is actually one of the oldest nonprofits in the country, and they do disability services for children and adults with physical and/or mental disabilities. So okay. they kind of run the gamut, all sorts of services, everything from kind of um, early intervention with kids with developmental uh, delays to helping people get wheelchairs when they can't to dealing with issues with the elderly, transitional housing for the homeless, mental capabilities, veterans care, all those sort of things. Is this an organization or it's a It's money? nationwide. Do you give money to other organizations or is this actually people who work it's for it? It's people who work for it. It's a, um, it kind of varies. Basically, it's, there's a national office and there's kind of each state has its own kind of like affiliate. I think they're only not in two states. I think they're in 48 states. Um, and it started... I want to know who those two states are. Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm Hawaii, I I think Hawaii is one of them. I, I, I think, think Alaska so. has no. them. Um, Utah and Montana. Yeah. Um, Let's boycott them. I think, it's one of, I think it's one of the Dakotas, actually, it's is one the other one. one. I say opportunity. So, <laughs> Damn so already, Dakotas. So they've already shown Dakota favoritism by picking one. Yes, <laughs> yes. We have one, my, my name both. But, I like um, East Dakota myself. Yeah. It was started years and years ago, um, over 100 years ago in, Min- in, I think, Minnesota. Or no, I'm sorry, Illinois. Um, a, a man who had a son who was hit by a trolley, street trolley, and he was severely crippled. Um, where they lived, the hospitals and no hospitals within like 100 miles of them had any sort of services for people who were crippled, sort of special needs ongoing care. So he was a Rotarian, and he the first like grant the Rotary there ever gave was to start the Crippled Children's Fund, which later turned into Easter Seals. It became known as Easter Seals because their initial fundraising campaign was to sell um, stamps with Easter lilies on them, so the seals and also actual Easter lilies at Easter. 
to raise money. Um, and now it's um, the one here in Louisiana has been here for 62 years. Oh. But again, cool nobody really knows what it is. So yeah, well, why is, how come we don't know what it they're, is? They're, I know about it because I'm from Chicago. There you go. And, see? I, and I remember really when I was a kid, it was the commercials always give to Easter seals. Mm-hmm. And it was the buy the, a buy the stamps. There's a park. Like I don't know if it still exists, but it was called Lamb's, it, Lamb's Field, like Lamb's yes. Park. It's a park up in like the northern, way northern suburbs of Chicago where everyone who works there is either has Down syndrome or is retarded. And they like, you go in and you kind of, it gives people a place to work and it's like, there's a lamb's farm. That's what it is. It's Mentally a farm. disabled. Mentally, sorry. <laughs> I didn't okay. mean it that That happens a lot. And it was like, they, but they were running it and it's really remarkable because you see all these people like running a whole farm. I remember going when I was a kid. They do a lot. They do they, some of the really cool things. We're trying to get one here. Some of the other states do um, kind of combined daycare centers. So for children and the elderly, which is that's proven, a great idea. It's really good. Like it's 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 Who's been proven. After who, exactly? Right. It's been proven to like help health um, with the elderly and boost intellectual capabilities with the children at the same time. So it's really cool. Um, they do a lot of stuff here in Louisiana. We typically do, we have a lot of, um, behavioral health and mental disability health up North in the Shreveport area and transitional housing for homeless. And then here in new Orleans and kind of Covington and Thibodeau, we do everything from people who need ramps, at their house because they're now just finding themselves in a wheelchair so or people with a cane. Call you, people just call you random. Mm-hmm. I mean, ordinary well, people, regular people just yeah, call and say, hey, I need a ramp. Here in New Orleans, we have a, um, a system point of entry office. So basically, it's any parent, and this is covered by the state, any parent who thinks their child is not hitting sort of the developmental stages they should be can call us up and say, I think my kid might be delayed in some areas. Can I get them pre-screened? And somebody from Easter Seals will come out and sit down and, and do a whole screening with you for free. And if they find that your kid's missing some stages, they'll hook you up at the state and get you covered with a caseworker on and what you need, be it occupational therapy or speech therapy, you know, all those and, sort of things. And is your job to connect Easter Seals to people like that? To no, folks? my job is to make sure people are aware of what we're doing. So kind of the problem is with Easter Seals is because it's so old, it's kind of stayed old in its marketing for a while. And so, especially here in Louisiana, so they've kind of brought me on to bring them into the new sort of get us on social media, get the younger crowd knowing about us. So a Is lot there of, a preconception that it's, uh, that it's only polio? Yes. Because, because, Ori- that, originally, because for years, that, origi- that's all I thought that they well, did. Well, there's kind of like this thing I hit when I talk to people about Easter Seals. Usually people under like 55, very few people know what it is. And anyone over that age, if they know what it is, they're like, oh, the polio, a crippled kids thing. And you're like, okay. yes, but there's more. Um, we, they're actually phasing out polio care because there just aren't that many people nobody, with polio anymore. Has, isn't polio eradicated? Dr. Jonas Salk. Yes. Is that what we got rid of it? Yeah, he got rid of it. He Actually, did you know that that guy could have patented that and made millions of dollars, but he didn't because he wanted the uh, wealth spread? Because well, he just wanted that's, to cure sick kids. That was the polio vaccine. That Did you ever see, see this book called Dr. Mary's Monkey? No. This guy in New Orleans. You, Robert, you should read this book. This guy claims that they were making the polio vaccine across the lake at the primate center. They were testing it out on monkeys. And they had all these, it was called simian virus number, and they had all these numbers. And when they got to simian virus number 39, that was the one that worked, that cured polio. And then somehow they treated it by putting it in a, um, you know, in a microwave or whatever you did in those days to, to sterilize it. And they, then they injected thousands or gave it to thousands of school kids all over the place. You know, that was the one that worked. And then that led to the, this is what this book says, not me. This, this led then to... The incredible proliferation of, uh, I think it was soft tissue cancers and eventually AIDS. <laughs> and the whole the AIDS epidemic started and crossed the lake at the Tulane Primate Center, which is the premise of this book wow. called Dr. Mary's Monkey, which is written by a guy who was living here in New Orleans. Good Lord. Hasler. It's totally worth reading if you're a conspiracy theorist. If it's that's, one of the if greatest. that's true, to say that is an unfortunate <laughs> incident. It's a, <laughs> well, it's a byproduct. Yeah. Of, yes, that's a. Yes. Oops. And also, and AIDS or being in a wheelchair. I don't know which one that's you right. want to get and screwed hey, with. We, we, hey, we cured <laughs> polio. Kind of, kind of invented AIDS. Sorry. Good news, bad news. Well, the other. Which good one thing first? About the good news or the bad news? The other good thing about this story is the Kennedy assassination is also involved with it. Oh really? So it's got all the conspiracy theories in the beginning of AIDS and the Kennedy assassination. A monkey was it? Yeah. A monkey was in the grassy knoll. It was it a was it a monkey with polio that killed 
Kennedy? In the grassy knolls. <laughs> I, did, oh, I did not yes. know that. It might have been. I'm not sure. I never got to the end of the book. It's very difficult to get to. Is there such thing as monkey polio rage? I don't know, but we could probably... They'd be your new single, Monkey Polio Rage. Monkey, that's my new band. Hey, yeah. that's come a on. great Talking name for our band. Have, let's album. play another song before we have to get out of here. All right. What are we going to listen to? Uh, we're going to listen to a track uh, from the EP that we just released in Scotland. Uh, we, we, we just finished touring it. It's going to be coming out over here uh, at an as-yet unknown date. Okay. Um, but it's called Over Again. And is this going to be on a label? No. This no, is well, it, is, it is in Scotland. Uh, my first band, the, the, we got our break on a Scottish independent label called Fat Hippie Records before signing to one of the majors. So I, when I went back uh, to release an EP, I contacted them and said, look, I want to bring some of this to your, your table. And we ended up having a great time and touring the UK and released, uh, released an EP on Fat Hippie and it, it went tremendously. So. Oh, but, it cool. can, but it can be heard tomorrow night or Friday night because I think this well, airs tomorrow. This, is, uh, yeah. this lives forever on the August internet, 9th, so. Friday night yeah. uh, at the Crown and Anchor uh, where uh, we're playing we wanna, uh, we to try to raise some awareness yeah. for the uh, for a lot of the Al- Algiers Point uh, uh, businesses that have suffered because of the ferry cutback, they're getting hurt. They're getting hurt badly because the, you know this this arbitrary decision which has uh, effectively halved their you know it's halved their business, halved the hours, halved the people, especially at the late night with the bars mm. uh, and the the bars over there are the hub of the community and ultimately it's it's hurting them and we'd like them to do something about changing it, working out some way of making it a, a viable situation. And when they had the when they had the vote for the uh, tolls or the no no tolls, they should have said that they were going to shut down the ferries when they mm. uh, when they did that. Yeah, but, but they didn't. They didn't. So anyway. So, yeah. and there's a but bunch tomorrow of night we're going to be... Uh, okay, so uh, that's the ninth. If you listen to this before then, otherwise there's a bunch the Crown of other and Anchor, coming up. 200 well. Pelican Street, okay. August 9th at uh, 9 p.m. Uh, Terry's going to be sitting in for a set or so. Yeah, I'm going to join Greg, sing some songs. My band, Terry Including Kermit, this one. And the Bonfires will be performing this on August 17th at One-Eyed Jacks. Don't tell me it's over. Don't tell me it's over. Don't tell me it's over. 
Cheers. Looks so easy, doesn't it? Nothing to it. It's like attack of the iPhones in here. Everyone's taking pictures. <laughs> yeah. That's my other band I'm going to start. When did you figure out that you could sing like that, by the way? Were um, you a kid? It wasn't like some giant revelation. Apparently, I was singing around the house as a kid, but I didn't really realize until I was 12 when I got asked to perform in a senior performance at school. It was just this terrified mm -hmm. first year. Was it like Billy Elliot? It was a bit like Billy Elliot, far less exciting, uh, not quite as charismatic. Um, but I performed at this, and I, and I remember at the end of this one performance, I was singing a cappella and, uh, in front of 500 people. And I remember scary, the, the seniors, you know, all the senior girls clapped me off the stage, and I remember thinking there might be, there might, there <laughs> might be something on here. <laughs> yeah, there might, might, this might be a good idea. So. Hey, that's what did it. It's always for the girls. Well, that's right. Well, if you, yeah, if you do it for the right reasons, do it for the girls. I like the, um, <laughs> I like the line of that song, I still believe the kids are all right. I had to throw it in there. That's good. Yeah. You still believe that? Um, yeah, I think so. We're on the right track? Yeah. What, what is happening to music, by the way? I mean, I want to, Dominic, I want to ask you a question about living mm -hmm. stylishly for, for cheap. First. <laughs> okay. But let's just do that first. Um, what is the secret here? I see this is in your bio. Yeah. Is that your blog a little happy? Yeah, it kind of started as a personal blog, but now I have um, quite a few contributors from around the city who own their own businesses, shops, and vintage rental services, and graphic design, a whole slew of people. But, um, Basically, it just kind of started as a hobby, but now we're f doing workspace tours and home tours. We're doing featured guests with people, um, women who have really cool creative businesses. What do you mean, tours? Um, I go in and I take photos. I take a tour of where they work, do a quick Q&A and kind of put it up on the blog and people, people really love it. Um, it used to be called a magazine article. Yes, now it's just, <laughs> you know, digital. But um, it's been fun. It's, it's fun to find. There's a lot of, um, I kind of found that this kind of morphed into a weird project for me, um, working with the, my company doing marketing and PR. You know, there's a lot of budding entrepreneurs here who work in tech and cool, you know, digital coding and all this fun stuff. And uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs with Idea Village and all of that. And it's a great industry. And they have all these resources for them, all these kind of networking events and online magazines and hubs for them all to kind of work together here. And but there's no place for sort of some of the more creative industries I found where it's like, I, I'm, I'm a graphic designer, I'm a photographer, I'm an artist, you know, I design my own clothing or jewelry, that sort of thing. Um, and so I am not as talented as half of these ladies, but I like to blog. So um, I just tried to turn the site into kind of a networking place for them. And now we've, we've started having networking meetups. Um, we had our first one two months ago, and I think I was expecting like 20 people to show up. We had 145 RSVPs. And so we're having a second one September 19th um, at Fresh Bar. So there's more details coming about that. But yeah, basically the gist of the site is I kind of have like a a manifesto, if you will, where if I can't afford it, I'm not going to put it up there, and I can't afford much. So, um, oh, that's cool. so it's called so, a happy.com. Yeah. yeah, it's it's more like using what you like. I and I'm not very shy, but like I go dumpster diving for half my furniture, and am all about refinishing and DIY and stealing stuff from your grandmother's attic. All that. That is a totally great stuff. idea. So it's like a marketplace for people who are creative mm -hmm. and looking for place to sell stuff. Definitely, yeah. um, it's it's really cool. I think we've have, we've have, um, and I kind of actually hit like a personal high. Um, Mignon Faget contacted me. Was like, we'd love to be on your blog, and I was like, I've made it. Yes, <laughs> Mignon Faget. So I know. Um, so we've got some good people coming up with workspace tours and, and different things. Well, so. congratulations. Thanks. That's really yeah. cool. Fantastic. Can you get? Yeah. Can you make some money out of this thing? Um, as of now, it's it's a labor of love. Um, Somehow I, there might be some way to... There are a few people it. who've asked about placing some ads on the sidebar that, of the site, so if it covers the hosting fees, I'm cool with that. If you're okay yeah. with stealing from your grandma, then you'll, you'll find a way to... Uh, yeah, so yeah, it works. <laughs> on those sage words, it's time for us to leave you. Okay. I can't believe it. I just looked over at the clock. We've been here for an hour. Oh, uh, really? Oh, wow, over. this we have to go. Boom. So Looks thank like you very that. much for joining us here, everybody. My guests have been Terry McDermott and Greg DeLeo whose music you can find on the internet yes. pretty easily and on, on iTunes. Dominique Ellis. I will become a McHobbit. Well. That was really good. And we've really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> co converted Robert Dean. Excellent. Well, you go to take a look at that site. What's it called? Moon. Oh, Moonrunners? Yeah, Moon I'll Runners. give you one of my cards. It's one of the very Excellent. few sites on the internet that doesn't have a mission statement. You have no idea what it's about. <laughs> you have to actually read through no, and you go, wow, what the hell is going on? It's, uh, everything is very opinionated and it's all about music. It's very cool. There's like a, whole, a whole bunch of people. It's a writer's collective. Nice. Writers. Oh, okay. It's like a little unhappy. 
Yeah. yeah no, it's a little pissed There's off, no manifesto, yeah. no yeah. organization. Yeah. I'm just kidding. No, there is. No, that's, that's why <laughs> that's, we... That's better, actually. We wanted it for creative dudes to have a place to go to talk about music and culture and things that mean something to them. Okay, Excellent. so it's non-limiting. Nice. That's good, though. There's You can talk about anything you want as long as you're one of the people that write for us. We can do whatever you want. Moonrunners.com. Oh. Moonrunnerscountry.com. Okay. Moonrunnerscountry.com. Okay. Thank you so much, you guys, Thank for you. joining Thank you. here on Happy Cheers. Hour. The producer of our show is Graham DePonte, our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director and Dr. Cliff Brigden is our web designer and link to the real world. Our intern is Caroline Kaufman. Our theme song was written and is currently being played by the fabulous Mitch Foreman. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sound products around, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Aero Studio monitors, and much more. You can visit PreSonus.com for more info about that. If you'd like to be on our show and you can sit around a table and have a beer for about an hour, drop us a line. Our address is on our website where you'll also find many other happy hours to listen to, along with some other shows that come from itsnewwarmers.com. Out to lunch with Peter Raschuti live from Commander's Palace Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic. True to the game with Chris True and Tammy Nelson and Viet Nola, our show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community, plus Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada. You can keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and a bunch of other time-sucking social media as well. On all of it, we're It's New Orleans. If you're listening to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, thank you for subscribing to us. Take a moment to rate and review us if you could. That will help other people find us. Our show is recorded live today at Casa Borrega on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard, a bar, a restaurant, and a live music venue. Check them out on Facebook and Twitter as well. Or come down, have a drink and a meal, listen to some music. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworlders.com for Andrew Duhon, who is still in Europe and is allegedly coming back at some point. Mitch Foreman on the piano. Everyone around here at the table at Casa Borrega and back at our INO Broadcasting offices. I'm Grant Morris. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Happy Hour. <laughs>